We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another edition of the Yin's No Ball podcast. I am John Ledger. With me is Brad Spielberger, and we are going to talk about another Steelers win. A first win without Matt Canada as offensive coordinator and one of the more offensively robust wins that this team has had in a very long time, Brad. Over 400 yards of offense, 421 yards of offense. That never happened in the 58 games that Matt Canada, well, actually, Matt Canada wasn't even here 58 games, I don't think. Uh, but uh, the in the amount of time that Matt Canada was Steelers offensive coordinator, this never happened. Um, and so now the streak is over in... I don't think it's a coincidence it ends after the Matt Canada tenure ended. Most people by now, if you're listening to this podcast, have probably heard that little fun stat that I just read. But clearly, there is some tie over here into what looked like, although they only scored 16 points. We should talk about that. Um, they, it looked like a, a different type of Steelers offense, especially in the passing attack. I think it is important to to present that way. There's something called the intervention fallacy. You know, we talked about it on you know another podcast. That I do the forecast when the Bills fired Ken Dorsey. You know, because their underlying metrics already were strong. We talked about how if they won a couple of games, maybe if they beat the Eagles, you know, there'd be this narrative of like, oh, Ken Dorsey gets fired and now they're great. They're back. The offense is good, and it's like no, the offense kind of you know the results weren't really there, but they had moving the ball effectively. I mean, when he got fired, they were literally first in success rate in the NFL. And so when Pretty I came wild. into watch tough gig, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so when I watched, um, when I went into watching this film for the Steelers game because you know, I, I didn't really see any of it live, I was kind of cautioning myself. Like, yes, they won. I, of course, I saw the four hundred yard stat. There was a nice an ice cream sandwich of four hundred yards the game before they hired Matt Canada. Fifty eight games of zero four hundred yard games, and then a four hundred yard game in the first game he was gone. I tried to temper, but I agree. I think fundamentally you saw some different things that they did particularly in the passing game, but some running wrinkles as well, even though we did give him credit for a lot of the run game stuff. I don't think it's crazy to say we saw a different offense in some capacity and, and there were results. Yeah, and it wasn't a totally remade offense, but things that we wanted to see and that you and I talked about, they more or less did. One of the things we said was get the ball to the people who are different, can be difference makers in your offense and the passing attack specifically. They obviously emphasized that. It didn't work. At every single turn, you know, there were plenty of miscues along the way, I'd say, mostly player inflicted miscues, but they wanted to get Pat Fryermuth involved in the middle of the field. Nine catches, 120 yards for Pat Fryermuth, a career day for him. No doubt about it. George Pickens, they targeted five times. think that could be more. Uh, he caught three of them for 58 yards. They found him for the vertical ball late that they wanted to on, I believe, a 43 yarder and Deontay Johnson, eight targets. 
four catches, 50 yards. That should have been another that's a 16 yards, I think, or so on the drop touchdown. And it was actually a caught touchdown that we'll talk about as well. Uh, and a score should have been for him as well. So his numbers could have been bumped up there uh, with some of the issues. But eight targets, they're trying to get him the ball. The offensive emphasis was how do we get these three guys the ball? And in this game, obviously, they thought Fryermuth was an ideal option, and they attacked the middle of the field. So little things that we wanted to see. You know, you're not going to change the structure of the entire offense. Can we get more primary reads to the middle of the field? Can we push our quarterback to play in the middle of the field, to throw in zones? in the middle of the field. Let's just focus on that element first. Like the, the actual, like when you look at Kenny Pickett's passing chart, it actually looks like a real NFL quarterback to play in this game. Like not, not like some kid that was just chucking it to the outside as soon as he got the snap in this game, Kenny Pickett between the numbers uh, had a, a good bit of his success. He was three of five. Um, oh, wait, sorry. Looking at the wrong number. Sorry. Put standby. Uh, he was two or three for 53 yards to the intermediate middle of the field and to the, to the zero to 10 yard range over the middle of the field, six of seven, uh, for 65 yards in that range. Those are both his heaviest totals to any one portion of the field came in the middle of the field. So basically like flip the whole thing on its head, um, in terms of the, in terms of the profile of what that looked like for Kenny Pickett. Um, pretty impressive to see that. Also, just generally good to know that Kenny Pickett is willing to do this. It's one game. We'll see if that continues, but good to know that he's willing to and be able to throw in his own in the middle of the field. It just has happened so little in his career. It was good to see it a couple times in this one. I mean, both guys are consummate pros and are never going to say anything otherwise, but Kenny and Najee, I thought, we'll get to him later as well, just played with a fire and a passion and a confidence level that I don't think we've seen all season long. Um, like Kenny, to me, what stuck out, like, I mean, obviously the execution, the pulling the trigger, but his footwork was so much quieter. There wasn't a lot of the happy feet that I saw. And then you mentioned, you know, attack in the middle of the field. You're going back to the coaching now, that first play of the game to Pat Fryermuth, yeah. if you go back and look at the film, the play action to Najee holds Jermaine Pratt just a half second and opens up that window for Kenny to layer it over the top um, and, and and hit Fryermuth with a perfect throw. So it was a mix of everything. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it really also was just Kenny playing more confidently, comfortably, freely. I thought that stuck out on tape. And then, yeah, Najee just ran as angry as I've seen him run in a long time. No doubt. Um, j- just – Kenny in the middle of the field, like you were talking about with Fryermuth, uh, the play action was another thing I was about to tie in. So let's just tie it all together now. Yeah, it wasn't a ton of play action necessarily, but almost 22% of his dropbacks were play action. I mean, that's an improvement certainly from where it's been. We'll see if they lean into this more because he was six of six, only 39 yards. So it wasn't like there were huge chunk plays outside of the first one to Fryermuth, but it seemed like there were some options. Some of those were play actions, they were rollouts, and the Bengals actually covered those very well in this game. So he didn't really have that many options. Um, when he got into some of these situations. So some of that is like they need to work out the concepts of the throwing off play action better. But yeah, the one you're talking about to Frymuth down the seam, that was shotgun play action. So that was a play fake while his eyes are still able to be down the field. Um, and so those kind of plays, yeah, I, I've I've said, I've long been somebody that's trumpeted the fact that we should do more play. Everybody should do more play fakes from the shotgun um, because the quarterback can see. And also if you give it enough from those specific formations as well, it holds the linebackers just as well. So I like the fact that they did that attack the middle of the field, throwing into zone windows a couple of different times, beating, getting it past the pole runner in the middle of the field and uh, just making really good, accurate throws with no hesitation. You talked about it. And I, I agree with you with Kenny that the confidence level just seemed to be so different. Four big-time throws in this game. He was able to rip it down the field. Jalen Warren went on 93-7 the fan, I believe, after the game. 
And he basically just said, we were just able to be way more aggressive. Like that was the biggest difference. We were just able to actually put the ball down the field and be more aggressive. Um, and um, that I think that makes a huge difference. So when you're able to do that again, like if you don't threaten teams down the field, if you don't threaten them in that portion of the field, you would just have such a lid on what you can be as an offense. The worst part about the Steelers was that we knew they had the guys that could threaten down the field. We knew they had the vertical threats and they hit Deontay on a deep one in this one and Pickens on a deep one as well as Frymouth a couple times over the middle. We knew they had those guys that could stretch the field, that had the athleticism. They just weren't using them. They were using those guys like they had the Panthers wide receiver in court. Like they could only get, you know, couldn't get any separation, couldn't get any vertical spacing, none of those things. That was how the offense was being called. So Warren, I think, hit it right on the head and just saying that like they were just way willing to take way more risks down the field. And that's going to be a huge difference because Kenny, although he hasn't done it much this season, has over the course of his career been a pretty good deep ball thrower. In this game, we saw it how many times. I mean, throwing the ball right in the bucket, the throw to Deontay is as pretty as it gets. The throws to Fryermuth are perfect. The throw to Pickens is great. He can throw the deep ball with accuracy consistently. We've seen that throughout his career. Everything else, I still have pretty big questions about. Literally almost everything else, I still have questions about. Like There were a couple times even in this game, I'm like, anticipation, middle of the field is going to be open here in this coverage, in this situation. As soon as you read it, like you know where you should go with football. He looks right at it and goes somewhere else to the flat. And I'm like, nah, like just go to the middle of the field. So as well as he did in the middle of the field, there's so much meat, more meat on the bone there for him to be able to take advantage of. A couple of passes I felt like weren't placed that well. The touchdown down to Deontay that ended up not being a touchdown was on the wrong shoulder. So anyway, there are things like that. I nitpick with him, the ball placement. Yeah. He was better in the pocket. He spun out for into a sack rather than throw the ball to Pickens over the middle of the field. It would have been a tough quick trigger thing, but again, that's the kind of processing stuff. Don't turn your back to the line of scrimmage. Stop doing that. Keep your eyes downfield. Yes. If you take a hit, as long as you could still deliver that ball, which he could have to Pickens in a short throw, you could still see him. You could still deliver that. And yeah, you take the hit, but trying to be Houdini all the time, is just a bad process. I think sometimes and there was another play he bounced outside of Broderick Jones uh, in a pretty clean pocket. I think he thought a late rusher was going to get through and he bounced outside and Jones ended up held, holding a guy because he didn't realize that Kenny was going to bounce out. So a couple times overall, yeah, I mean, like his back foot hitting the ball came out more often. So that was the kind of confidence that you're talking about. That to me was the biggest difference with him. He was just willing to rip it a little bit more. And who cares? He didn't throw any, no turnover worthy plays in this one, but if you throw when you throw it, like, I mean, th- like you got to grow up at some point that you're not going anywhere with this neutered offense that they had before. So at least that was encouraging that he seemed to be willing to test tight windows and throw down the field. And I think it's funny. So this is one of like a dozen examples where I think the first thing you said where they actually built things off of things that worked. Um, we'll get into that much more because it's like a bunch of my notes, but the play actually before he had the corner out to George Pickens, the very nice completion. Um, he had George on just a go ball on when he was, you know, the, the the number one receiver on the left side. He missed him a bit deep. And when I went back and watched it, I actually think Pickens first, his release was kind of lazy. And then he like slowed down mid route for whatever reason. So it looks like maybe Kenny overthrew him a little bit. I think it was actually a perfectly placed pass upon review. Is that the one Pickens laid out for? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Also, the corner like clearly committed illegal contact, right? Like I would also agree with that. Yes. <laughs> I, was <gonna> say, <laughs> I was like, this is pretty a lot of contact down the field. Like, yeah, like well beyond five yards. Yeah, yeah well, I, I agree with that too. But I, but but I also think Pickens just could have like I don't know. He could have just ran a better route. But anyway, yeah. like I I think even then, a pull, like ripping it and and taking that shot with a guy who when he when he did throw it had zero separation, but trusting George to make a play. But then I think it actually kind of helped on the corner out, which was a beautiful, like George, I think one thing we don't talk about him when we talk about the contested catchability is late hands. What I mean by that is, you know, you are looking back at the quarterback and a DB expects that. But if you put your hands out earlier and flash that, 
and the DB knows you're trying to make a catch, you know, they can jump on it or they can get their head up and try and block it. His hands were so, so late. Um, he also did have late separation because the DB kind of slowed down on that one. But I almost think the two were correlated to where, like, I think the DB thought George was not the target, was not going to get the ball on that particular play uh, because he didn't react to it until the very last millisecond. But, like, th things like that popped up throughout this game, and I think more so on coaching. But that one I think was just players making plays and just making adjustments and just being better on the next rep. Um, but th that that popped to me. Maybe it was confirmation bias and wanting to see something, um, but we'll get into it. But I saw a half dozen things where I was like, mm -hmm. when this worked in the Matt Canada era, they would run the same play. What I saw in this game was they would use the same formation or the same personnel or the same motion, but do something different. Mm -hmm. um, and the defense kind of thought they were going to do the exact same thing again, and it worked over and over and over again. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe even just taking things and, and using them against what the defense you know thinks you're going to do or is used to you doing. I mean, we've talked about this before with offensive coordinators and or just coordinators, coaches, whatever. Like when the change happens, even if the guy that replaces is not very good, sometimes just the the unknown factor and the element of unknown can be really difficult to stop just because teams are not really prepared for what are your norms. They've been operating all season now at this point off norms and now for a couple of years with Canada with well, off norms and now those are out the window and you don't quite know what to expect. So you're relying on the old stuff and you don't really know what to expect the new stuff till you have a larger sample size. So yes, from a scouting perspective and a game planning perspective, I do think it adds uh, a wrinkle in there for sure. Um, but yeah, overall, this has to be like super encouraging for Kenny, right? I mean, like there's no way to see it any other way. It doesn't mean that the flaws aren't all still there. Like I said, it'll take a large sample size to move me off my priors for him. But if we're just talking about one performance, yeah, this was awesome. Like he did things really well overall. Like you weren't going to expect there to be no mistakes and there weren't no mistakes. He certainly missed some throws he should absolutely make. And uh, he, like I said, there were two plays, at least in the pocket that I could think of that I thought he, he managed poorly. So yeah, we're, I wouldn't even say we're nitpicking. We're including those things, but also like the positives were just overwhelming. Like the big time stuff was there and it was overwhelming in this game. Um, and so I felt overall super encouraged by just the fact that he was, trusting the offense it seemed like a little bit back foot was sitting ball was coming out more often there are still plenty of bad route concepts and route distributions in this offense as well there were plenty of static um receiver uh, there was plenty of plays where nobody was open just straight up whether it was you want to say the Bengals did a good job or you know the, the design could have been different or helped free people up more there were several plays in this game where there's nobody open Kenny scrambled a couple times he threed the ball away like he you know, took sack one time, you know, where I guess it wasn't like there was clear that somebody was open initially when he spun back on that sack. So overall, it wasn't like it was all his fault when a play didn't operate perfectly either. Like there are still many broken elements of this offense. And you know, so, but I don't think you can be anything but encouraged and excited about the next time you get to evaluate him based on this performance, which just by itself is more than you can say about basically any Kenny performance this season, I would say, Brad. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I think it's a huge piece of it, too. Like, not to make a huge deal, if there weren't, the, we had nine other positively gated throws that you know, wouldn't warrant a big-time throw. But, like, sure, was a lot of those maybe, you know, relatively fundamental? Like, yes. Not an accurate, but poor ball placement to help his receiver get more yards after the catch or just, you know, the little details. I thought all of that was great in this game. I can think of a couple third downs where he led the receiver upfield, and I'm not sure they convert if it wasn't for a well-placed pass um, or just the timing of it, hitting the guy in stride. Like there was the little details were also there as well. Even in the stuff, look, do we expect an NFL quarterback to do that most weeks? Yes, um, but he kind of hadn't <laughs> the last month. So uh, it was good to see. And it still remains to be seen very largely, I think, like how he does in the intermediate portions of the field. Like that's where a lot of we've I think we've talked about on this show. I know Ollie and I have talked about it on Audibles and Analytics. Like is like that intermediate area of the field, especially in the middle of the field, like if you're the best quarterbacks in the league, make their hay in that area of the field and can live in that area of the field and win. And defenses kind of count on the other guys not being able to make plays in that area of the field, I think. And for Kenny, that's still a big question mark. Five attempts, uh, like I said, he did have three completions there. Two of the big ones were to Fryermuth uh, down the seam, very similar looking plays. Um, so, yeah, the, there is like hope there and reason to be optimistic. It's still like a large port. Like most of his passes come within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage still in this game. You just had those couple plays and then a the couple vertical balls to keep people on us. So I don't think this is going to suddenly become uh, a big vertical offense or anything like that, but they are going to take four or five shots. And if he can hit them, that's a difference in a lot of ways. Like those are, we hit all of them in this game, really, but uh, except for the one Pickens laid out for that you were talking about. But that, that's, I mean, that's a, a lot of the difference in a lot of these games is just whether you can hit those couple explosive plays that get you half the yardage or more you need to get to the end zone on a specific drive. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that you're probably not going to see like snap to snap consistency with Kenny Pickett, like the way you want to, but can the high end stuff flash enough? And can he, once again, become a quarterback that makes plays out of structure. That part to me is uncertain. He tried to a couple of plays in this game. He scrambled twice, I think, and it was like a little decent gains. But you know, I want to see him be able to get out and, and get on the move and get to different platforms and then look downfield and throw from different platforms. I just don't know if he has that kind of athleticism or that kind of arm. I think his arm is fine, generally speaking. But when you're talking about off-platform stuff, changing your angle and your arm slot, 
I don't know. Like, I don't know if he has that type of elasticity. Last year, I saw enough flashes to make me intrigued. I just haven't seen any of that this year. So that'll be something to continue to look for for him if we're talking about what's the ceiling here. Because I do think from the pocket, he can make tough throws. I just think there's a lot of the down-to-down consistency stuff that I'll just keep having questions about until he can answer that stuff. But like I said, no doubt, big step in the right direction from a scheme, route standpoint, from just honestly from a getting players involved. We're just going to spam you the ball type of approach uh, with your best players. Um, And yeah, I think Kenny responded really well to the changes. And maybe, just maybe he's got something to prove. And that's part of this. You know, we don't talk about that part of the game that often, but it's possible that could be kind of in his mindset as well. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I, the added, the added structure stuff is a good point. Like we haven't seen, it. I think we did see it in that stretch down the back half of last season. And I wonder if it's like him thinking and trying to just stick to what they're trying to accomplish. And maybe now we will see more of that with him, you know, playing freer and more confidently letting himself take some risks, take some chances, trust his eyes. Like I think some quarterbacks, when they bail, they they wonder in the back of their mind, especially younger guys, like, is there a safety or a linebacker that I'm just not seeing because I'm now on the move and not, you know, sitting in a pocket? And so should I not pull the trigger? Even if there is a guy on a scramble drill that's created a bunch of separation, they just don't trust it. And I think that will come. But yeah, the, the two things I want to hit on there was you mentioned like taking the shots for the sake of taking shots to a degree. Either they hit and you get the explosive or they don't. But like you said, I think they also had fewer guys in the box and some of Najee's plays, the underneath ball to Darnell Washington, like some plays throughout the game, I think were a product of the Bengals defense and Luana Rumo being like, okay, we actually have to respect them throwing the ball down the field, which I don't think you saw uh, on their scripted drive or uh, another first quarter drive. Like they were really loading the box and just sitting there. And I think that the halftime adjustment was we need to respect that Kenny might actually throw the ball downfield, not only outside the numbers, but also over the middle and then it fed into a bunch of stuff in the flats and some of the out route stuff and some of the stuff that is kind of already their staple, but it was just more open because they actually had other elements to the game. Um, but yeah, I wonder if the if the out of structure stuff you know comes with time because um, he's shown the ability to do it, just not really this year. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I I really do think that I don't know that that part of his game necessarily comes back or is 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 there in the degree that he needed to, but I'm. It's the one of the things you got to be looking for this season, I think. Like especially with quarterbacks that maybe don't have the overall consistency you want, can they create the high end and work their way into the consistency? And I again, I doubt it, but <laughs> I do think that this game has to be super encouraging to people. Even just watching, like his eight was eight and a half yards in this game. Like, all right, like it's not amazing or anything, but like we'll take it. Just a guy that can like threaten down the field and make big plays. Like that just at least like last game against the Browns was just like the most ridiculous offense I've ever seen in my life it was just like what are we even doing like honestly I, I mean I felt like Chooks was just 100% right like you might as well just get out there and kneel it or punt it if you're going to do this because it was just so pathetically passive and it was just like if you quarterback can't do more than this like then you just need to be done and Kenny showed in this game he definitely can do more than this can he do it consistently can he sustain this we'll see about all those things but this was 100% exciting performance big step in the right direction some great throws in this game no doubt um so that was encouraging uh, Deontay Johnson, uh, a roller coaster as always, right? The the unbelievable vertical catch, big play down the field, awesome. I mean, that play sparked something. Um, earlier in the game, had a touchdown back in the end zone. Yeah, Kenny's throw could have been better. He caught it clean. Both hit, both. He, I think he got three steps down. Uh, I know you and I were texting about this. I didn't get a chance to reply to you, but uh, broadcast angles showed in replay showed the ball was not moving at the time. So he had beat feet down, control the football. 
then was hit by a defensive back. This is all happening in the end zone. Then was hit by a defensive back and tackled after the play should have technically been over. I'm not saying late hit. I'm just saying the play was over. Once you get two feet down the end zone and you have possession of the ball, like the play's over at that point in time. Was hit by a defensive back after that point. The play should have been over. They went to the ground out of bounds out of the back of the end zone. And at that point, lost control of the football and it fell and it rolled to the ground. The officials incorrectly ruled that it was not a touchdown. I believe it would have been overturned on review. You never know with officials. I get why people are saying that. Like, oh, you never know how officials are going to rule. Like, okay, but like, as Gene Serator got on the mic and said, this was pretty clearly textbook what officials are taught to look for when you look at the replay. Like, this was clearly a touchdown with the amount of control that he had, the amount of feet down that he had, uh, the time that elapsed. Like, it was just what you look for. And so he said, yeah, he, Tomlin would have challenged him. He couldn't believe that Tomlin didn't challenge the play. I agree. I thought Tomlin made two critical mistakes in the first half that against a good team would have probably cost the Steelers, perhaps even the game. Uh, I didn't like his approach to punt on fourth and two. It was like fourth and one and a half, really. Um, and the I think it was the Steelers' first drive of the game. You could tell they were energized. The players wanted to go for it. You could see in the All-22, they're jazzed up. They're trying to go for They want to go for the first down there, that situation. You're at Cincinnati 43. Jake Browning is starting on the other side. Um, even if these, I don't even care about these things. I'm just saying this from a coach perspective. Like I know they're going to think about these things. You should just go for it because one and a half yards is not that much. And if you don't get it, like you're not losing that much in field position. I believe the punt went into the end zone after that. Or did, did they down that one? Oh, it is. Uh, Let me look. Uh, no, they went, the punt went about to the 20. So yep. they gained, they gained like 20 yards of field position off that. Um, yep. So yeah, again, not worth it to me. Um, but yeah, I know people are like, what if they downed it at the one? Well, I, I don't think there was a high likelihood of that happening, but uh, if they did, yeah, that would have been the, the small percentage chance that I was wrong in that situation. But more chance it goes in the end zone, especially when your punter's pretty bad and unpredictable, as Presley Arvin is. And so I felt like that was just a bad decision, and they were out in the cusp of field goal range, especially for Boswell. And that could have been points off the board, uh, for the Steelers. And then he failed to challenge the touchdown. Jalen Warren fumbles on the next play, obviously. And Deontay Johnson famously now does not now pursue that plan. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. I, I was making sure that I thought you had. I know you've been traveling yeah. some, but I figured you were in the loop enough to know that. The Steelers will never have a normal wide receiver, Brad. That agenda continues. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And, and actually, it's funny. He, he wasn't even the only guy. I think we gave Broderick like a half, a minus a half because he also was kind of staring at it and didn't do anything. But Deontay's was more like, I think he maybe didn't realize what he was looking at. Deontay's was like, I don't care. And I'm just going to yeah. kind of stand here and like, and also yeah. shout out Connor Hayward for making a great tackle um, yep. in, in space. I like an important play in this game. It's a six yep. point game. But yeah, the tweet after was why Like I did see it in real time. And then he tweeted after like, you know, narrative, whatever, whatever Deontay said, it was pretty funny. I, like, cause I feel like it wasn't that confused. Like there are definitely instances where it happens and you're like, Oh, like, you know, like it was weird. Didn't know what happened. Jalen had the ball. Then the Bengals had the ball. He it was not it was a pretty clear fumble. I felt like like he was going down, but it was like he was not down. It was I mean live I couldn't tell, but obviously he's right next to it. So yeah. a pay attention, but b like even if you don't know, you play like keep playing. Exactly. The whistle and sounded like come on Hayward when Hayward's taking off. That's the funniest thing too is the juxtaposition on the film. Yeah, like Hayward starts booking it backwards, just like realizing basically just be like a deep safety and just kind of play this thing. Yeah. Get inside the guy, play him to the boundary or play him to the sideline, whatever. And uh, yeah, Deontay's just like milling about. It, it was pretty funny, but yeah, the whole the whole touchdown non touchdown thing. The Kenny ball, obviously, if it was in front of him, could have just taken two steps and ran out of the end zone of the tunnel. He had to reach behind him. 
he does have three feet down. I agree. There were three steps down. I, I texted you because I, you know, I missed the broadcast and I was like, okay, maybe he was bobbling it. This to me, what it does say, and I don't know, I don't know this for a fact, but that's why some teams employ a person whose entire job on Sundays is to sit there, watch the re- replay, and say, challenge this. He, it was a catch. Mm-hmm. I Tomlin, maybe... Tomlin said though he didn't get enough. He didn't get a good look at it though. Brad, he said he said he couldn't see it. They didn't show it fast enough on the jumbotron. He he was yeah. on defense, so obviously the other team hurried up. Oh no, wait, he was on offense. Oh, he could have done whatever he wanted. Oh, okay, like it's a touchdown. It's a it's an important moment in the game. You should probably make sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. No, it was. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. But like, yeah, it's one of those things that I just the excuses just blow my mind. It's just like, oh yeah, the, sometimes in the opposing team stadiums you don't get a look at the replay. No, you have a dude upstairs. Who looks at every single play like that's how it should be, and if it isn't that way, you're behind the times. You're not taking it seriously the way you should. You're not caring about the details of winning, win, losing the way you should. That 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 matters. So like it could have mat- mattered in this game. Probably should have if the Bengals have been another team. And now nobody will think about it because people are so results oriented. But the process just remains from a game management perspective. I, I mean, obviously I watch every single Steeler game, but I watch a ton of football in general. Like. I can't believe how bad Tomlin is 17 years into this thing. It just blows my mind, like how the same mistakes get made. He has like one of the worst challenge records ever. For it's him. incredible. It's, it's like remarkable. Yeah. And then the plays he doesn't challenge yes. are often the worst of it. Like the plays <laughs> that you're just like, what are you doing? Like, it's just amazing that he could be that incompetent and change nothing about his process. Like a man who just goes to the next thing and never looks back, like never learns from anything. And, it's uh yeah, hard to fathom. Anyway, my frustration comes out there, but that should have been a touchdown. So that was kind of off the books for Kenny too and for Deontay. That could have been a nice play. I don't know if Deontay was mad at the refs for messing up the call or mad at Tomlin for not challenging what he believed was an obvious touchdown. It was right. Uh, I don't know. Either way, you can't do that, obviously. I can understand the frustration and not, you know, you can't just not play for a play. <laughs> like, and so yeah, but big shout out to Connor Hayward. He ran back, made the tackle, saved the day. Um, that was a huge play in the game, no question. Uh, because the Bengals ended up punting, I believe, a few plays later, and then the Steelers responded with a field goal drive of their own. Um, so yeah, it was it was a great play by him. Also, shout out George Pickens from the other side of the field. I would not have been surprised at all if George Pickens had been with, done what Deontay did. I would have been like, you know what? He actually probably didn't know what was going on because he is just that oblivious of a dude. Did you see this past week? Did you see it about Wait, no? What, what now? No. Oh, so Matt Canada gets fired right Tuesday. It was Tuesday, I believe. Yeah, uh, players are off Tuesday, right? So players come back in Wednesday. Pickens didn't know the candidate was fired until that's Wednesday. Incredible! There's yeah, no yeah. way. Unbelievable. So I don't. That's what he says anyway. Um, so <laughs> Donnie Chedrick, ninety two seven the fan, he tweeted out, "Who do you think on Tuesday?" He tweeted out, "Who do you think was the last Steeler to find out today?" Like when Matt Cannon was fired, and he was like, "My guess is so and so was first, and I think he said Isaac Ciamalu was last." And I replied to him on Tuesday. Keep in mind. On Tuesday, I replied to him. I said, I guarantee you, George Pickens still doesn't know that it's happened. He's going to, I said, he's going to show up tomorrow and be like, wait, what? And I, we laughed about it. Obviously, I was being facetious. Sure enough, George Pickens gets interviewed the next day after practice. He's like, I didn't even, or Thursday, I think it was after practice. He was like, I didn't even find out till Wednesday. He's like, I'm not on social media. I, I barely even check my phone. He's like, I didn't even find out. Like, I came in, I was like, what? Like, I was like, this is incredible. Like, this guy is like a complete parody. Like, remember, he didn't know Joey Porter Jr. got the pick against the Ravens? That like, one, just, yeah, that one I remember. Yeah, it's funny because my takeaway there is I think you can view it both ways. First, like, how is not a group chat? Like, yo, boys, like, holy shit, Matt Cannon right, got fired. Right, like, I know. <laughs> like, but secondly, a small part of me loves it. As a, I'd be like, I want a guy who is so tunnel vision on just like yeah. balling out and cares about nothing else that he's like, I, I don't care if 
if SpongeBob SquarePants is calling plays. I'm just showing up to get like to get catches, yards, and duddies. Like it, it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Like he he absolutely cracks me up. Um, I Dante's I think a lot sharper, so he's you know probably more dialed in. Obviously, the the, the report about him and Minka going at it, and yeah, I don't make much of that. Like I think Dante is probably pretty upset and rightfully so probably expressed it in a way that wasn't best. And I understand Minka being frustrated by that and, you know, responding, he wants to keep the team together. Doesn't want that kind of dissension happening for a team, especially winning record and just what they have in front of them. And so I'm sure I could see where frustration would come from. Obviously when Deontay had his long catch, Minka was the first guy running down the sideline to congratulate him. So yeah, I don't really think that's a, I don't think anything of that except just heat of the moment stuff. That's how, what happens when guys go to war. So I don't really even have a problem with that with Deontay. If that were like the only, only thing but it obviously is not the only thing and he's got to find a better way to come to grips with some of this stuff when he's out there on the field nevertheless all this he had an unbelievable like bubble screen where he just made a guy miss and then like just decided to run backwards even though he was so close to the sideline there was like no room to run backwards that he slipped and he just kept moving in the wrong direction he lost five yards was like oh it's just vintage Deontay like after the catch just one of the most uh, truly, I think, the most interesting player in the NFL. Like, on some reps, you would swear he's the best receiver in the league. On other reps, you're like, is this guy even playing the right sport? Like, you just there's no in between with that guy. It's crazy. Um, it's it's so, really true. The, like, yeah. the, the, he's literally lives on the ends of the spectrum. Like, there's no just like boring snaps out of Deontay. Yeah. He does. They're really not. Like, he is just completely polarizing at all times and everything that he does. But. Uh, obviously rebounded, made a couple of good plays in this game as well. So the full Deontay Johnson experience in this one, no doubt. Uh, Pickens, uh, we talked about a little bit. Frymouth, we've talked about as well. Good stuff by Frymouth after the catch, too, just battling. I don't know that there was like a ton of forced missed tackles or anything like that. But he's just got the body type and the athleticism that he just needs to be able to compete after the catch. This wasn't like a big yak game for the Steelers. But like every time Frymouth got the ball, he maximized his catch, carrying guys on his back and just finishing plays well. So all that stuff matters. Darnell Washington, same thing. Like when he had there was one catch, I think, in this game, he caught it about seven yards and just bowled straight through people for three more and get the first down. Like, you know, those little things. His was hilarious. I wrote it down. I literally wrote down the yardage where it happened. He catches the ball like the 30. He literally trips over his own feet at the 31 and then still goes down at the 36 because he just like rumbles and stumbles through guys for five yards. No, he got five yards five. after he was falling down. Yes. I literally, I literally stopped and started the film. Yeah, they had a couple of plays where I was like, they like it, it was successful in spite of their own feet, like throughout yeah. this game. But yeah, I mean, it it, it worked out. This was a quiet uh, Jalen Warren game. He almost busted one that would have been back to back house calls, back to back weeks. But he ended up averaging just over four yards of carry on that play. He got through a couple arm tackles, line of scrimmage, pretty good blocking, gave him a crease. And he was about to bounce it outside the corner and already gotten kind of sucked inside. And we had a, and the, it was, I forget who the receiver was blocking, but a blocker was between him. And Warren was about to bounce to the outside. And Dax Hill made one of the better run fills, I felt like, especially because he had to change his angle on the fly. And he hit Warren and kind of knocked him backward and knocked him. It was enough to make Warren lose his balance. Um, so it, it would have been maybe a house call for Warren again from long distance, which would have been fun. Steelers in general, though, 154 more yards on the ground. Uh, Pickett was five yards of that on three carries, I think. So even better from the backs. Najee had a great game, 15 carries, 99 yards in this one. He did, I saw, see that the this was the most yards before contact on average per carry for him 
that he yep. was had ever gotten in his career. So I think it was like four yards before contact on average in a game. And so it just shows the run game stuff didn't wasn't relying on Canada. Like they're still getting that stuff working. That stuff still uh, being successful for them. He had one pretty absurd play where he just Najee and it was the blockers too. Like nobody really gave him a good shot. He was just kind of like in between all the blockers and he just kept powering and he ended up running for a huge gain. I think it was like 22 yard gain, but he was just like hiding in the midst of all the blockers. It wasn't like he was like carrying a defender, but he just kept pushing. And then finally he did actually carry a guy for a couple yards at the end. So just great determination by him all game. He, I think he always runs hard. Not that I disagree with you saying like he he ran inspired in this game. I think he always runs like incredibly physical and incredibly hard. Sometimes it works and sometimes he just gets taken out anyway because he doesn't sure. have great explosiveness. But yeah, this game, no doubt about it. Uh, forced two missed tackles in this game in general. He was just a beast after contact, almost five yards after contact per attempt in this game. The, the one you're talking about was the first and 10 at the 11-yard line. Yeah. He hits a pile of, no joke, a dozen guys at yeah, the yeah. 13. And then is the there's at the 13, and then there's a cloud of dust. You can't see anybody. No. He at the 21-yard line emerges with a guy, I think it was Dax Hill again, like on his shoulder, carries him a couple more yards, and then, yeah, picks up another 10. I think it was like a 20-yard gain from the 11 to the 31. Yeah, that play was incredible. I mean, you're right. He always does run hard, but – and he does this in some games too, but there were a couple plays where he would seek out contact at the end of runs and throw a shoulder into a guy near the sideline and like make sure to deliver a crunch. As for the yards before contact, I think in this game, we've seen things work and we've seen a change in the blocking scheme. The amount of different run concepts they ran in this game, I thought was more than I've seen all year long. I mean, you had like, like Najee had a single back directly behind Pickett offset. They had 21, 22. There were pitches, there were draws, there was counter like, and counter worked for both Najee and Warren. And they both had like a first down uh, on counter. Um, even the Najee touchdown, I think it was in part because of all the various different things they'd done. Um, if you go back and look at that, he kind of has a hesitation step to the, to his right. And the linebacker, I think for this one was Logan Wilson, I think, I don't know if he thought it was going to be play action or what he thought, but he's super flat-footed and just staring at Najee. And then Najee just darts to his left, gets the ball. Obviously, amazing block from Darnell Washington on Jermaine Pratt. Also, Jermaine Pratt was the was the should have been the clown play player of the game. Oh uh, he, he had a tough outing. Um, but, yeah, and Najee just, just so walked. Bad. Yeah. He was bad. Yeah. In uh, coverage against the run. But yeah. he was the bad. draw play, the draw play where the middle of the field opens up. He reads it and just gets in the hole and just stops his feet and lets himself get blocked. I'm like, dude, just fly up there and hit somebody. Like, what what sport do you think this is? Like it was, I mean, Jalen Warren was, I think it was Warren was able to like cut off that fire move block and turn it, or maybe it was Najee, I think it was like a turn it into a gain of like six or seven when it should have been like a loss of one. Like he just inexplicably like just froze. I was like, this. This dude's having I see I didn't even look at his PFF grade, but I see now it's a 38. Bad. Like this bad. is yeah, every time I want put on tape and he was involved in a play, it was pretty bad. Yes. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I just thought Najee, you know, I I've always liked the way he plays. Do I think Warren should get more touches? Absolutely, I do. In this game, Najee had it going. Uh, you know, I don't have to say Warren didn't. I felt like when I watched the all 22, especially that. I mean, Najee, the statistic speaks to it. Najee had a couple of plays that were just better blocked, although his longest run, I, I would actually, it was pretty well blocked. I think he just had no page. He just plowed into everybody. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, it was just, yeah, he was gaming he had a lot of success. He, he's a good player. Like that shouldn't be lost. We always say this, I know, and people probably get tired of us quantifying it, but Najee being a good player shouldn't get lost in the fact that Jalen Warren's just a better player, I think, in my opinion. But yeah, that's good to have both of them for sure. Clearly the run game is working. The more I watch ball, Brad, the more I think like, 
it just like you have to be like multiple in your run scheme to be like successful in the NFL. Like it just it feels like all the best run schemes every year are able to be so varied in their approach. And the ones that struggle the most are so siloed in where they want to run the football and how they want to run the football. And it feels like that is such a difference. Just the unpredictability of what you're going to do, snap to snap and from what formation, alignment, things like that, just feels like it's like half the battle, if not more, in the run game. Like people always like, oh, the offensive line just soft, like they're not good enough if people don't run the ball well. It's like the common refrain. I'm like, the more I watch ball, the more I'm like, I mean, yeah, there may be a player like one time that derails things for his team more often than not, or like it's possible like that. But I just think like how many offensive lines I've seen that don't have elite players, but have elite run production. It's just, to me, it's just like, can you teach the scheme? Can you guys, you know, can they master the details of the scheme? If they can do that, like you're going to be successful if you know when to call certain runs against certain things. It feels like that's so such a huge part of the battle that gets overlooked. I think. 110%. And I think it just showed up time and time again. And I mentioned how, like, there were a couple of plays where they honestly, they didn't execute, but it still worked. And I think it goes back to that, where you just, as I've talked about before, like, you're protecting the guys by the amount of the 11 that need to execute correctly for a play to be successful. I think the great play callers reduce that number as low as possible, where, like, four guys, if they do their job on a given snap, can still be a successful play. There was so much of Canada's offense where it was like, yeah, if all 11 guys execute, this will be this will be explosive. But, like, the odds that that happens is not very high on a down-to-down basis. And one example, and I, I, I was I think Najee was the better player in this game. So, and it also ties, all 11 guys have to, you know, be successful in their particular assignment for a play to be successful. And so, like, for example, with all the different looks they had and all the different things they did – there was one play, it was third and one on the first drive, and I was talking about using a prior successful play again. So there was a third and one against the Packers, I want to say, where Jalen Warren gets an end around. It's 22 personnel. Jalen Warren is kind of standing as like an H-back, almost like a real more like an inline tight end offset off of the left tackle, um, or maybe even behind a tight end. And they did an end, end around to him where Najee was in the backfield. And, and anyway, they have the exact same alignment in this game. Kenny actually turned, well, I don't know if it was Kenny or Najee's fault, but it's supposed to be play action and then a boot rollout. And then the throw to Jalen Warren, who, you know, runs across from the left to the right of the formation, catches the ball, gets a first down. Kenny turns to his left and Najee runs to the right. So it is play action, but the players are nowhere near each other. And the, and the end, I think it was Sam Hubbard, still crashed and like completely bit on the play action. And, and, and if he didn't and just stayed outside, Warren, there would not have been a throwing window to hit Warren on that third and one. So it's like, we're not always trying to say just spam play action and spam motion, all those different things. But like, it didn't even actually get executed properly in any way, shape or form, yet still is the reason why they got the first down on that particular play. And I think it was smart that they used the wrinkle. The end played it like he saw it on film and expected an end around handoff to Jalen Warren. And it wasn't. And it was it was an easy first down. Yeah, it's it's stuff works, man. <laughs> it just does. Yeah, yeah, it just does. Um, Siamalu in this game, I thought like like actually just just put the whole offensive line together. The most like just kind of consistent game. I said like I didn't think anybody was terrible. I didn't think anybody like was killed it either. Like in the run game, honestly, like I thought they had had better block games in the run game. A lot of the, I, you know I know that the Najee thing was true. A lot of it to me was just like the Bengals linebackers as the game went on just did not feel like they were down to play in this game. Like, I don't know what it was. Uh, it was a real, like, I really normally like Logan Wilson. I didn't feel like he had a good game in coverage either in this game. And so 
Um, I thought that was enough in this game and they did well enough, but nobody was just a disaster. Like Trey Hendrickson. Yeah. It doesn't seem like he's himself right now. No doubt. Um, I know he's had some injuries this year. He's definitely not hundred percent, I believe. Um, but seemed like he was struggling a little bit in this game as well. Wasn't able to be as effective as he normally is. I know he had the sack, but it's kind of Kenny got a spun into it uh, in this one. Um, so yeah, it felt like the offensive line just kind of did what they needed to do. Uh, wasn't d- a dominant performance maybe, but they continue to just be much more steady than they were early in the season, uh, which I think is a big part of this, except when they're playing Miles Garrett, obviously. But um, yeah, I, I mean, the fact that I don't know how often Cincinnati look actually. How often did they blitz in this game? Yeah, blitzed 11 times in this game. It seems like Kenny was good against the blitz. I don't think it was a huge factor. Uh, he got the ball out in 2.3 seconds against blitzes in this game. So that helped uh, for sure. Last game against Cleveland, they were a disaster against the blitz. And so hopefully some improvements. I'll have to take a look at those specific blitzes and maybe have some more information about that on the next pod. But overall, again, just encouraged by the general offensive approach. I felt like they um, had a really good grasp of what they wanted to do in this game and things they wanted to accomplish, getting those guys involved, using some play action, taking shots down the field and using the middle of the field more effectively. And I felt like they really kind of were able to do all those things pretty well in this game. And now we'll see if it can continue. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and to the O-line, I agree with you. I think it was just solid, steady. Uh, the third and 13, that was early on, probably their second drive of the game. Um, there was a stunt from that was against Broderick Jones and James Daniels. They just passed it off so seamlessly. Like, and there was, I think, a lot of that. I don't remember a ton of blitzes out of Anarumo. He does love to stunt and twist and do different things up front, though, because he doesn't blitz a ton. Um, it's kind of matchup specific. but And they handled, that I recall, handled all those pretty well. I think Broderick just lost a couple, you know, just speed rushes on the outside. One was from a DB. Uh, it's probably Dax Hill, who they love to send off the edge. Um, but, yeah, no, everyone was just solid and did enough. Um, but, yeah, the scheme, I think, and just the, the play calling, frankly, it was, I think, actually elevated this offense for the first time in, in 59 outings. Pretty wild how that could happen. <laughs> pretty, pretty crazy. That was always the thing with Canada, right? Like, even if it's true that these guys aren't as good as we think they are, and obviously we both have questions about Kenny, but even if it isn't true that the other receivers and Fryermuth and both the running backs and, you know, the offensive line obviously leaves something to be desired, but we go into the season after preseason, we're like, these guys are just talented. Like, they are they have talent. Like, it's clear. Like, these guys are really, really talented at the skill positions. Like, that is something that by itself, even with mediocre quarterback play, should be able to be higher than never having produced a 400 yard game, never scoring, hardly ever scoring like more than 20 points in a game. Like it was just, there were lows that were just embarrassing that no other place would let go on for the amount of time they went on to be able to set the kind of records that the Steelers set. And that did go on for that amount of time under Tom and this regime. And so now it's recalibrating from that point as to what good offense looks like more than 16 points would be nice. Obviously should have had 23 in this game. I don't want to, you know, I want to make sure we're always including the context that, that should be there. Like that, 23 if that Deontay Johnson count, touchdown counts the way that it should have. And then also you, you have to consider, you know, if Tomlin goes for that fourth and short, uh, how that can change a game as well. So I, there were the, again, like the process of this team, we've said, been saying it for so long was bad, even when they won games and scored 13 or 16 points. Now we're just staying consistent. We're telling you the process for this team, if followed every single week to this degree is going to give you more than 16 points. It just is like, that is what, history and studying numbers and all this stuff in the game it shows us that if you do this kind of performance over a sustained period of time you will win more games and you'll score more points than what the Steelers scored in this game against the Bengals and before the process was if you don't if you keep doing what you're doing before you're not going to win games the way you 
they've been winning them. Obviously, the Steelers have bucked that trend a little bit, and they've been the the outlier team probably the last couple of years in that way. But still, we've seen a ceiling on this. We know how it ends. Uh, we know that the ceiling of this team was incredibly low, even if they did continue to muster wins out of nowhere. Um, so now we see what happens moving forward. We'll talk about the defensive side of the ball tomorrow, maybe a little bit, Brad, if we're able to get to that tape. Uh, can break down some of our thoughts on that, as well as any additional offensive thoughts. We'll clean it up on offense if we have any more thoughts. I have a couple more plays I wanted to get to through on the tape, see if I have any notes from those for tomorrow. But lots to talk about on the defensive side of the ball, too. Um, some good and improving things. Obviously, the battle between Porter and Chase is a big part of what we want to talk about as well and what we saw there. Cardinals next week, Patriots week after that. I think these teams are combined four wins. These might be the bottom feeders. Kyler being back makes Cardinals – yeah, they still haven't been very good. <laughs> they got so, killed by the Rams, uh, who the Steelers beat, yeah. you know, fairly fairly comfortably. Um, but yeah, the the Patriots are the worst team in the NFL. <laughs> I think I agree with you, Brad. And as somebody who picks them almost every week like against bad teams, not against good, but I pick them to win almost every week in our pickums, and I'm doing pretty well in these season. But our family does pickums, and I'm like, okay, this has to be the, the Giants. Tommy DeVito, there's no way Belichick's not losing to this clown. Nope, he lost to him. <laughs> like it's. It is unbelievable, ridiculously bad, uh, ridiculously bad. So those need to both be wins, get to nine and four. I'm not going to say you can do what you want, but the AFC, the way they're beating each other up right now, we'll see what happens. Get to nine and four. You still have the Bengals one more time. You have the Colts. Those are both winnable games. This is your next two Seahawks and Ravens to finish the season. Even if you lose both of those, I don't know. I mean, you should be no worse than like seven losses would be on the like acceptable end of disappointing, maybe like this team should have probably six losses. Um, what would that be? 11 and six, which is nuts. 11 and six for this team. But like, that's just the way it is. Like that's the schedule they play. Like, I don't know. Like uh, to me, I'm not going to like overthink it at that point. Like if you could play well enough to win some of these games convincingly, no, I don't think I'll probably take you to win a playoff game, but at least, you know, how you play with Kenny Pickett the rest of the way is just a huge part of where this team is going to go long-term. So six more games in the regular season to figure that out. And if you do well enough, should have a playoff berth. So I think they're 73% yeah. chance to make the playoffs today. Probably. Yeah, they're in the driver's seat. No, there's no question about it. They're the five seed right now with a you know fairly easy schedule compared to other AFC opponents. Like because of injuries to the quarterbacks, their division, I guess they played the Browns twice already. But yeah, like, you know, if you're the Dolphins, you're playing the Bills again. Like, whereas if you're, you know, the the Steelers, you get the Bengals again. Like it's it's breaking in their in their favor, but that also means they gotta actually execute and get it done. Yeah. Short week against the Patriots. You know that's going to be the one week the Patriots get somebody. <laughs> we'll see. All right, great stuff. We'll be back tomorrow with more thoughts on the defense. As always, if you are a listener, please hit that subscribe button on whatever platform that you listen to us on. Also, leave ratings, reviews for us. We really appreciate that. And share the podcast with friends and family that you believe would be interested. That always helps us out a ton. So appreciate y'all. Love y'all. We'll catch you again tomorrow on another edition of the Yin's No Ball podcast.